The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, in my opinion, that's vitally important, particularly with lows. You don't want to lose awareness or sensitivity to your lows. You want to feel them so that you know if and when you're going low for your own safety. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good morning or afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Delighted you're here. We always appreciate your time. We always appreciate your ears. Graham, how much do you appreciate everybody on board right now? Every (laughs) single person had a choice today and they chose to uh, either search the Insulone podcast or they've already subscribed and they are my favorite type of people on. Wherever you are, I see us popping up in uh, iTunes charts around the globe. And uh, for that, I'm very, very grateful because sometimes we come on here and just uh, chat about uh, painting and carpentry and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's, it's nice to know that people uh, are tuned in all around the world. Yeah, it's interesting to know that people are curious to hear about the most irrelevant things that go on sometimes. But the most relevant thing to the vast majority of us, which is our management of our type 1 diabetes. So that's what we're here for, and that's what we're going to do more of today. And how are we going to do it, Graham? Well, you put up a lovely little question box on your Instagram recently, and um, you were just asking, tell us, or ask us a question. Ask Owen a question for the podcast. We will answer it on the podcast. I've got uh, about five, six, or seven of them here. Let's go through a few of them, and let's see if you can answer any of them, Owen, which I'm pretty sure you'll do your very best at. So let's go. Question number one from Instagram, of course, Owen is at Insel Owen. If you don't follow him already, what are you doing? This is from at Lily May by Fran. And I'm going to give the handles a go. Your Instagram names. Sometimes I'll get it right. Most of the time I will get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. But the question <laughs> is, I know what you do for a hypo, but not for a hyper. That's the question, Owen. What are you saying? Mm, good question. Yeah, and I feel... How we treat high and so just to clarify, a hypo is a low blood sugar, a hyper is a high blood sugar. And the way that I actually got used to the difference when I was initially diagnosed, because 
they sound so similar. I always related hyper to obviously more sugar and me being really, really hyper as a child. That's how I remembered. So hypo is low, hyper is high. And it can be a tricky one because I have heard from people that they were told to never take correction doses in terms of if my blood sugar is high, I shouldn't take more insulin to bring it back down. Now, I was never told that personally. And if my blood sugar is high outside of my three to four hour window at which I took fast acting insulin, I will take a correction dose to bring it back down. So let's say I took a dose of fast acting insulin at 12 p.m. I know that come 4-ish p.m., that insulin that I should have taken or that insulin that I did take should have run its course and should essentially be out of my system at 4 p.m., so that four-hour window. Now, if I am high outside of that window and I know I don't have any insulin on board, I will take a correction to bring it back down. It can be tricky for people to understand how much insulin you need to bring your blood sugar back down because like most things with diabetes, it can vary a lot. But personally, I know that if I am to take a correction dose of insulin, one unit of insulin will bring me down roughly three millimoles per liter. So let's say, for example, I'm sitting at 12, which is obviously higher than I want to be. I know that if I take two units of insulin, I should be brought down to roughly about six. So that's how I know what my correction calculation is. Now, obviously, it took trial and error to understand that that's what works well for me. And it's important that you always remember when your last insulin dose was. Because I don't want to have a meal at, let's say, 12 p.m. I take insulin for that meal and then I'm high at 1.30. Because if I'm high at 1.30, the insulin that I've taken is still active in my system and potentially could still bring me back down in range. So if I kind of act too quickly on that and take more insulin, potentially I could be stacking more insulin than I need, inevitably resulting in a drop. So another important point to point out is if you are really high, let's say I'm sitting at 25 millimoles per liter. Uh, so that would be 25, 18. So that would be about 450 milligrams per deciliter. That's obviously very, very high. But just for the example, let's say I'm sitting at 25. It's much better for me to take smaller doses over a longer period rather than taking one big massive dose. So if I am at 25, I know I want to take, let's say, six. So if I'm at if I'm at 25, if I take six units, I would expect that to bring me down to roughly seven. But if I'm taking six units to bring me down to that seven, hopefully, I prefer to do that over a longer period. So let's say like two and a half units, two and a half units, maybe one unit, rather than a big 
massive dose at once. So keep that in mind. But the most important thing when you are correcting a high blood sugar, which is a hyper, be aware of when was the last time I took fast acting insulin? Because you don't want to take more insulin than you need if you have active insulin in your system already. Because obviously you want to avoid avoid, avoid low blood sugars and stacking insulin may increase your chance of going low. Perfect. Let's move on to question number two. And it's from Manny C03. And they go, how to ensure they're not becoming so reliant on tech, e.g. the pump, CGM, etc. Good question. Very good question. And we've touched on that a few times in this podcast. And it's something that I feel very passionately about. Because even from my own experience, much like everything in the podcast, my own experience my first nine-ish years living with type 1 diabetes, I didn't have any quote-unquote tech. I only had finger pricks and insulin pens. Now, thankfully, I'm lucky enough to have a CGM, which is great. But for those nine years, that almost gave me an opportunity and the ability to be really in tune with my body and how it feels. So... I almost relied a lot on how I was feeling to indicate was I high or was I low. Then obviously I would check my blood sugar monitor and that would accurately tell me if I'm high or if I'm low. Now, if you are instantly put on a CGM when you're diagnosed, that's obviously a fantastic thing in my opinion because it opens your eyes to what's actually going on, gives you a lot more data and information. But sometimes when you have the convenience of a CGM so early on, you can become reliant on it because it's a lot more convenient to check. You basically just have to open your phone and you can see your blood sugar in two seconds. Now, because of that, you may not be as in tune with your body and how you feel with highs and lows. So... What I would say, if you are somebody, and I have done this in the past too, even even with my own short experience with my CGM, I've given myself breaks from it. So let's say my sensor is coming to an end. I've had times where I might just leave it off for a few days so I can almost get back in tune with, with how my body feels and and if I'm really noticing highs or lows, because in my opinion, that's vitally important, particularly with lows. You don't want to lose awareness or sensitivity to your lows. You want to feel them so that you know if and when you're going low for your own safety. So if you feel as if, oh my, I'm I'm getting way too reliant on my CGM here. I'm getting way too reliant on whatever tech I'm using. Take a break. If you are comfortable taking a break, take a break if you feel you are still safe with your blood sugar when you take a break. So what I did when I was taking a break with a CGM to kind of get back in tune with my body, I would do it at a time where my bloods were predictable. And what I mean by that is I would have taken a break where my routine is pretty much the same. My training is the same. My food is the same. I wouldn't take a break from my CGM if I'm going on holiday because 
might be eating different food, eating at different times, taking more insulin, drinking alcohol later nights, whatever it might be. So if you are somebody who wants to take a break to kind of get back in tune with how your body feels with highs and lows, do it at a time where you're comfortable and you feel safe doing it. And just quickly to touch on that as well, I always harp on about the importance of feeling highs and feeling lows because personally I think that's an important part of managing your diabetes. But sometimes depending on what our bloods are typically like, that feeling can almost be a false feeling. So to give you an example, and actually I was only having this conversation with one of my doctors last week, I was, I was having a conversation about loads of different things, but we were talking about this specifically and how if you are having more low blood sugars, you will lose the sensitivity of those low blood sugars. So typically I will start feeling a hypo kind of low fours, which I'm happy about because then I know my bloods are starting to come down and I, I know the feeling so I can do something about it. Whereas if you're having hypos all the time, your body almost isn't giving you that response to tell you you need glucose here. You need to, you need to, you need to get your blood sugar back up. And it's similar enough the other side too. If you are somebody who, let's say your bloods are like consistently 15, 16, 17, your body essentially will adapt to you being that high. So when you start creeping down to eight, seven, six, you aren't technically having a hypo, but it's almost like the response that your body gives you is similar to that of if you were having a hypo because you're used to being up at that certain height. And the way my, my doctor described it, it was like a scales where it's like if you're consistently higher, your body loses that ability to give you that response at the time you want it. So you may be getting almost like a, a hypo response or hypo symptoms or signs at eight, seven, six, because you're used to being much higher. And then similarly with the lower end, if you're having hypos all the time, you may only start to feel your hypos at much lower numbers at like below threes or 2.5 or whatever it might be. So try and be in tune with, again, how your body feels with highs and lows, but also always double check with your finger prick monitor. Your finger prick monitor will always be more accurate. So if ever you're in doubt, just double check always that should just be your your golden rule basically okay let's move on to question number three from swally mcbeal and i really hope that is a play on the uh, very popular i'd say 90s slash noughties tv show ali mcbeal um they go on <laughs> to say uh, how to fuel for exercise brackets runs without having insulin on board i feel i need carbs for endurance but drop with insulin on board mm. Good question. And also very close to my heart because that's basically how I am because I'm super sensitive to insulin. So essentially, if I have even half a unit on board, 
without a lot of carbohydrate, my bloods are going to drop during a run. And obviously, I'm into longer distance style running too. So for me, my go-to had always kind of been training when I'm fasted. And that had worked well for me because I knew that when I got up in the morning, I wouldn't have any fast acting insulin on board. So I knew that my bloods weren't going to change rapidly over that relatively short space of time. Now, I then knew that if I was to go out for a run later in the day and I did have insulin on board and because I eat quite regularly, chances are I have insulin on board. So chances are my bloods are going to drop. So what I need to do with that is counteract it with much more carbohydrate to avoid that drop. Now, for me, that was bringing its own complications because then it's like, well, I know I've insulin on board. I know I want to go for a run. How long am I going for? How intense is it going to be? How much carbohydrate exactly do I need? And these are all the calculations that habitually you make over time because you're just so used to having it. But to get back to the question, how to fuel for runs without having insulin on board for me will be all about the timing of the carbohydrate because if the question is how to fuel for exercise without having insulin on board i feel i need carbs for endurance but drop with iob what i have done in the past is i've looked at my timing of the carbohydrate that i eat and the type of carbohydrate that i eat because i knew that i needed to find the balance between eating the carbohydrate that I needed for the endurance. But I needed to find the right space of time between when I eat and when I start the run. Because if I eat way too early, then my bloods are going to go way too high because I'm not taking any insulin. And if I eat way too late, way too close to the run, my bloods might not even have time to come up before they start dropping with the run. So it's like, for me, I decided on the carb that I wanted, the amount exactly that I wanted to eat because I already knew I wasn't taking any insulin. So let's say, for example, what was, what I've had, let's say banana and a granola bar, something simple, right? So it's maybe like, 50, 60 grams of carbs, depending on the size of the banana, depending on the granola bar that you're eating. But just for the example, let's say that's 60 grams of carbs for me. I needed to work out. I'm eating this 60 grams 20 minutes before, half an hour before, 45 minutes before, an hour before my run. So I could give that food time to essentially start bringing my blood sugar back up and then start to run at a time so that it almost balances out mm. the food, bringing my bloods up, and the run, bringing my bloods down. Using your run as your insulin. Essentially, yeah, yeah. In, it, in its simplest form. But for me, I've never had trouble, really, running longer distance fast, fasted. That's just, I just haven't really had an issue, thankfully. Um, but later in the day, because inevitably you're going to have eaten food. 
these are the sorts of things you need to consider. If you're going out for an endurance style run, which may be even 10K, I'd consider endurance. Hope that helps. <laughs> okay, we move on to question number four from at Sam.Matlas. And Sam asks, as a non-diabetic, what are the best ways to support a type one diabetic partner? These are all really good questions. Yeah, solid questions this week. Yeah. That's an interesting one because for me, that a lot of that can depend on the person living with diabetes and their relationship with their diabetes. Because if you are somebody who lives with your diabetes and you hate it and you avoid manage, uh, avoid managing it, you don't even want to pay attention to it, you don't really care, the relationship that you have with your diabetes may be very different to somebody else. And therefore, that relationship can lead to a partner having a different relationship in terms of how they need to support you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's all so, dependent on the relationship. So there's yeah. three people in this relationship. It's the two people and then it's diabetes. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Essentially, yeah. yeah. So... Let, again, let's just talk from my own experience. I have a good relationship with my diabetes. So the things that I would want a partner to do is to be, number one, always have extra hypo treatment when I'm going out <laughs> because I only have so many pockets. I will always have one or two packets of glucose tablets, but that simple gesture can mean a lot. And it, it can mean a lot just as a gesture in a relationship, but also it may be very helpful if that hypo treatment is needed. Another thing is be curious in the sense that show that you care about that person's diabetes and you're interested to know how to manage it the best way that you both can. What does instant carb ratio mean? Why are you taking your insulin at that time? What would this food do to you? Do you prefer to eat at this time or that time? All these different things that you can be curious about without being obsessed over or obsessive about. And sometimes it can be a fine line between being curious and being obsessive with diabetes. Not even just in relationship, just in general. Because it is just like all bearing all the time it's all it's always there Mm. so be curious try to show that you want to understand about it as much as they do if that person is high or low they might need space they might need you at a certain time but sometimes it's just like leave me alone i I, don't, don't even bother coming near me and i like even when I'm with friends or whatever it is, if my blood sugars are higher than I want them to be, don't come near me. (laughs) It's as simple as that. (laughs) So know that this is how I can help in terms of if I'm higher, if I'm low, but also that person may need some space because it's important. Another big one is don't feel as if... (laughs) How do I articulate this? Don't feel as if the person living with diabetes will be offended if you 
eat food at a certain time that they don't want to eat. So let me give you an example. If someone says, oh, do you know what I'm in? The it's 10 p.m., right? And somebody says, oh, do you know what I'm in the mood for? I'm in the mood for getting a big pizza. And you say, yeah, I'd love a pizza. But then you say, well, I would love a pizza, but I'm going to make the decision to not have a pizza because it's 10 p.m. and I don't want to be fighting with my blood sugars for the rest of the night if I don't bolus correctly for it. If you order and eat a pizza by yourself in front of the person who's living with type 1 diabetes, they won't be offended. Well, I wouldn't be offended. I would be more offended and more <laughs> upset if you don't get the pizza because of the decision that I made personally for my blood sugar. I will happily sit beside 15 people eating pizza at 12 o'clock in the morning and I will eat a chicken salad. That's just the example that I'm thinking of because that's a decision that I want to make for my blood sugar. So in that relationship, don't feel as if this person living with diabetes is offended by you eating that food. They're just making a decision to benefit their bloods for that night. I think I explained that well. Yeah, it does. And also <laughs> a benefit of that as well for the non-diabetic person is when the pizza does come, then you don't have to share the pizza either. There'll be no 100%. worries that they'll be dipping in, asking for a slice or two because they've made the decision. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's And that goes both ways yeah, as well yeah, because yeah. There's, there's been times where I've had a meal and now it sounds like I'm very, I'm very uh, selfish, but it, very, very rarely this has happened where I've been eating something and I've just been starving and I wanted it just to myself. I said, oh, sorry, I've already taken the insulin for it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah. just for me so I hope that helps okay let's throw in one more a uh, bit of a curveball one Owen. this is from at Zally Brown 4 and it says type 1 diabetic tattoo would you ever get one and if so what would you guess to symbolize diabetes <laughs> this sounds like a question you'd ask a guest right, right at the end it's a, good one. <laughs> yeah. it's a good one Zally Brown I like it <laughs> Um, oh, he's thinking. He's got his head I in his hands. You can I'm, you can ask him about food and exercise, and you can ask him about diabetic tech and hypos and everything. But ask him about a simple tattoo, and you stumped him. <laughs> yeah, stumped. Here's me rubbing my hair, think, thinking about what I'd say. I can get you. I'll 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 give you one that you guess just to kind of buy you time. Of an audiogram, so it's of the waveform not audiogram waveform of the Insulon podcast. That's what you can get. So when we talk, little waveforms pop up. You might see it on Instagram, <laughs> uh, on Owen's Instagram, when the moving waveforms, and you can get it to say the Insulone Podcast. There's actually a company that do that, where you can say, you give them something to say, they'll say it, and they'll get the snapshot. That's cool. Yeah, sometimes right. you get it for heartbeats and stuff like that. If anybody who loves the Insulone Podcast gets a tattoo of what Graham just said, what will we will name them? the podcast after you. <laughs> and then we will get your name. <laughs> we'll get your name on us. Um, what, uh, I have thought about it. Honestly, I have thought about it before. I'm not somebody personally who wants a tattoo. I have absolutely nothing against tattoos. Some of them are unbelievable, but just personal preference. I've never seriously thought about getting one. But that doesn't mean I haven't thought about one. <laughs> so... I had considered getting 
a type one diabetic tattoo, just almost like a like a medical ID sort of thing. And I've seen a few people with those, and a few people have sent me photos of them, maybe like on their their wrist or their arm or whatever it is. So, God forbid anything ever did happen, it's pretty obvious that you're somebody living living with type one diabetes, and a paramedic might know how to help you. But that's about it. Oh, I don't even know. Yes. What about you? Know you have that. You you made a T-shirt before of a drawing with oh the hypo hypoglycemia. Yeah, is it the hypoglycemia glycemic monster or something? No, it's like the feeling of hypo, and you feel as if your your face is just melting. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that. Actually, maybe. I don't think I don't know if I have any of those T-shirts left. If I do, you can check through the link in the description of the podcast, and they're pretty cool, even just to just look at them because we we got a design done of this person that it looks like their face is melting. And sometimes that's how hypos can feel. But tattoo. It's, it's a no from Owen. It's a no, it's from, a no from, from me. I have to say, it's, I know I know that isn't an overly exciting answer, but um, I'll like always be I, honest on here. The, the ID band was, was interesting. Um, thank you so much for those questions. Of course, as we always say, follow Owen at Insulone. He puts up question boxes in around once or twice a month, and we answer them on Instagram. And of course, as always, the Insulone podcast at gmail.com. There's only so much you can say on those boxes. If you were listening and you've got a question that um, needs uh, a, a little bit more space and more characters, then that's where you can get us, the Insulone podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Owen. Thank you, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for number one, follow me on Instagram. I hope the content that I put out is helpful. And number two, for asking questions. Number three, of course, for listening to the podcast. We can only be up in the charts because of you listening. So we greatly appreciate it. Gracious, greatly appreciate your time and ears, as I always say. Look after those bloods. What's usually the order I say that? Look after, have a good, have Look a good week. Have those bloods. Have a good week. Have a good management. This, the song. Get a tattoo. Melting my click, brain. Click on my links. Click on my links. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right, everybody. Bye. I appreciate you listening. <laughs> have a good day. Have a good, oh, that, that's it. Have a good day. Have a good week. Look after those bloods. Chat to you soon. I love you all. Take it easy. <laughs>